I am Plata on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. In 1977, Bonnie Robichaud, a wife and mother of five young children, got a job at the Department of Defense Military Base in North Bay, Ontario. It was a unionized job with steady pay, benefits, and vacation time. Her supervisor on the job begins to sexually harass and intimidate her. She considers staying silent, even thinks about quitting. After her probationary period is up, she files a complaint. She's told by a high-ranking officer at the base that she's the only one to have ever complained, and Robichaud says, good, then it should be easy to fix. That's the title of her new book, It Should Be Easy to Fix. It's a comprehensive look at uh, the over-decade-long battle for justice that ended up at the Supreme Court of Canada, where legal precedent was set regarding sexual harassment in a workplace. It's landmark labor history, and Ms. Robichaud joins me now to discuss her experience at work through the various uh, legal proceedings at commissions and tribunals through to the various court cases. I'll ask her about why she chose to fight when it would have been easier not to and how she's allowed herself to not be defeated and, in fact, become politicized as a result. She's a longtime union activist, public speaker, and mentor, and she joined me from Ottawa, where she lives. The book is uh, published by Between the Lines. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Bonnie Robichaud. Ms. Robichaud, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to, to do so. So as I was telling you just before we started, I um, f- found the book t- terribly engaging. Um, it's an important book that people should read because of the history in it and, of course, your story. Um, chapter 3 of the book, though, as you write at the beginning of it, is it, it, it's tough to relive. Um, and yet you relive a lot of stuff in this book, a, a lot that I'm assuming is unpleasant to think about. Why, why, did, why did you write the book now? Well, because when I first, re- well, I wanted to write it a long time ago. When I first retired, I was having too much fun. Mm. And then, you know, time just goes by. Right. And about five years ago, my union was doing a, a 50th anniversary, and I met with someone I had known before and told her I wanted to write the book and I needed help. So I, I got the help. And uh, because it's an important, it's important in history, I wouldn't have written it if it was just about sexual harassment, because so many women are sexually harassed. I wrote it because it put a law in place mm. that important. Legally to do anything, which certainly explains why they didn't do anything. Right. So yeah. I didn't. I didn't really know that until, uh, until we were going through the process. But I knew my employer had to be liable because they aided the harasser and they just refused to, to solve it. They did the minimal they actually had to do. Right. Well, we'll talk about what, what happened in, in, in a moment. But um, what I'm sure will astonish people, I, I, I turned well, turn 40 shortly, Bonnie, and um, it surprised me constantly as I was reading the book, was the amount of time that passed from, say, uh, when you got the job at CFB North Bay to the, the time that you, um, uh, through the federal case, the federal court case, through the, the appeal at the Supreme Court, and then you're going through university, and then your lawsuit against the review tribunal. Um, we're talking more than 10 years, aren't we? Yes, yes. And, and but time passes anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Um, you, you describe in the book just the immense amount of stress, frustration. Um, you know, even reading it, you know, I couldn't help but, but, but just feel disappointed and weary for you. I mean, it, it must have been um, often unbearable. I, I kept thinking about your mental health through all of this. How, how did you cope, say? It was very difficult. I was on medication at times. Uh, it was a time that I actually wanted to book myself into the psychiatric hospital. I cried a lot. I cried a lot. My husband helped me by having my friends call me. It was it was very difficult mentally. Mm-hmm. But I have five children, my husband and I, and... I was not going to miss out on seeing them grow up, and so I persevered. And I also knew it was it was really important to to finish to finish it. Mm. The employer said immediate dismissal, so I could prove it. So I thought to myself, "Well, I'm going to prove it." Yeah, and then that you did. Um, it, was it 1977 when you you, you uh, got the job at CFB North Bay when you first applied and and, and um, got the job there? 1977. Yeah, and and what was what was the kind of work that you did there? I was I was a cleaner. I I was getting paid for what I did for free at home, and so I loved the job. It was well within my skill set, and North Bay. You had to have more education in high school to be able to get a job that was worth, you know, that you could get more than minimum wage and regular hours. Mm-hmm. And I wanted regular hours. And so when the opportunity came up to apply for this job, I did. Right. And and you, you, as you just said, you enjoyed the job. Um, once you got there, what position was Dennis Brennan in? He wasn't there when I got there. There I was see. another uh, foreman there who retired. Like, I started in October, and he retired in December. And what he did, too, you see, pinched the, the women only started working there, but he pinched their bums. Mm. My last job, the chef, chef did that, too. And I just kept my bum away from him, and I said, don't worry. Uh, he's retiring. He should be okay. Dennis Brennan didn't start until... May the first uh, of the ne- of nineteen seventy eight. I see, and and right away when when he started there, um, did you hear things? Did you experience things right away as to to say his his behavior? Well, I was uncomfortable when he went around and went to meet all the, the cleaners individually. But I he went to see me during my lunch break. My lunch break is my lunch break, mm-hmm. and I. I lunch in the ladies' uh, lounge, which was for women. It was at right at the women's washroom, and so he just walked in like he owned the place. And I, I wasn't. He shouldn't have bothered me during my lunch break, mm. and he shouldn't have bothered me where it was only an area for women. So I wasn't comfortable, but I got through it. Yeah, and and the the harassment. Um escalates as you write in the book um it, it takes on the form of intimidation um uh bullying uh threats and and of course the the uh the sexual harassment um 
in terms of, of how that, that escalates, what, what are we talking about in terms of time? Well, set? first, it, 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 it didn't start. Well, after I got, like, I applied for the job of, of uh, lead hand cleaner. And mm-hmm. uh, so after I started the job, that's when the real escalation of sexual harassment started. I see, yeah. But I thought there would be, you know, I there's uh, a chain of command, and there was still a supervisor between himself, between him and myself. So I didn't have to, uh, I figured I'd be okay. And and one of the things that, that um, um, you, and you write about this in the book, that, that, that uh, say, dissuaded you from filing a complaint, was that you were within this sort of probationary period. Um, and, and that you didn't want to rock the boat. I mean, that's something that, that a lot of people say um, when they're in a workplace, especially when they should speak out and they don't. Um, well, I thought it would be safe to complain once once my probation was over. Yeah. I, I didn't know then that it's, like, it's very unusual for it to be safe to... Uh, complaining about sexual harassment in the military. But I didn't know the scope of sexual harassment at the time yeah. that we do now. Exactly. I mean, we're talking the late 70s, and um, as you said a moment ago, pinching p- pinching bottoms was, was, was something that, I guess, women expected or, or, or had to go through, I should say, right? Well, pinching bottoms is, are things we felt we could handle on our own. Right. And the way I handled it is I kept uh, my bottom away from who was doing the pinching. Yeah. So that's how I handled it. Uh, you know, this wasn't the first job where my bottom got pinched. It got pinched in the restaurant as well. Mm. I didn't like it, but it wasn't something that threatened my job or forced me to put a complaint in or anything like that because I had the power to stay away from that person who was doing the pinching. Yeah. And, and, um, the other challenge that I I saw, Bonnie, as I was reading the book, was that it, it, because it was a military base, uh, do you think that played into sort of, of um, how your complaint was, say, mishandled? I mean, you, you, you weren't dealing with, say, a, a manager or a supervisor in a, uh, I would say, a, a, like the rest of us do in, in, in sort of corporate or, or blue-collar places. I mean, you're dealing with colonels and captains here. Um do you think that played into to how the, the thing got screwed up, say? Uh, I, yes, I'm, I'm sure it did. I didn't, like I say, I didn't have a lot of experience in other workplaces. I worked for the provincial government for a year and a half, and there was, uh, I had no problems there or whatever. I, I hadn't experienced sexual harassment other than whistling and bump pinching and uh-huh. a few other minor things that none of them would... Uh, have made me feel like I have to complain or or, uh, or 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 leave the job. I mean, I did once as a paper carrier when when somebody guy somebody uh, uh, exposed himself. But I, the, I told my mother, who told the police, and they followed up and so. But I kept delivering papers. It didn't change my going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, the other thing that I found um, f- f- uh, almost fun to read was was uh, because it, it this was in the uh, now we're talking about the early '80s when when um, 
you, you pursue the, the, the uh, complaint. Um, th this was all before the computer, so it involved a lot of writing, say, longhand and then typing on a typewriter and using carbon paper. I mean, um, you, you write in the book that you eventually got a computer, but th there was a lot of sort of manual work at the time, wasn't there? There was, and I'm from a Dutch background, and uh, my strength was not English writing, so that made it difficult. But my husband was very good at Eng English, and uh, we teamed up, and he helped correct any of my spelling and grammar errors, and uh, then I would type it up. So that, and also handwriting, you can only do that well for so long, and my mind would just kind of start. <laughs> So typing, yeah. I figured they may not want to listen to me, but at least I want to make the wording clear enough that they could read it without too much extra effort, like you would if you're handwriting. Indeed. Um, you mentioned Larry, your husband. Uh, you've been married since 1966, is that right? That's right. Um, uh, the toll on him and the children through all of this, I mean... Um, he has a little uh, a piece at the end of the book uh, where he talks about what his experience was like, which was which was great to read because you describe him throughout the book, and and uh, it was nice to hear from him at the end. Um, what was it like for them? I mean, the the, the case garnered media attention. Um, w five did a piece on you, and and it was in the papers, obviously. Um, what was it like for them? Well, they tell me it wasn't all that bad. They just coped on their own, and uh, sometimes it was kind of bad when they referred to, like, my daughter was told that I must have liked it, so that would have been unpleasant, for, certainly, for them. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they were reasonably independent. I didn't uh, sort of... Uh, watch them all the time and do everything that could make their life better. I wanted them to be independent and, and appreciate things that they could do for themselves. So uh, it was hard, but it doesn't seem to have made a really lasting impression because they've all grown up to be capable, independent people who have their own homes and their own lives and pay their own bills. It's really important. You want to move it out, actually. <laughs> oh. So, uh, and when I was going to university, my my son, who's now an ear, nose, and throat specialist, uh -huh. told me, well, you know, if my mom can study like that, like, I don't know why she would study like that. Maybe I should give it a try. And, of course, she was very successful in school and did very well. well so, yeah. Yeah. They, they, I gave them a good example. And I, and I also told them, just because you want something doesn't mean you are going to get it. You have to earn it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and none of them uh, were, were any of the voices that, that, that uh, I guess, told you to give up. Because, I mean, uh, there were a lot of people that told you to, to give up the cause at, at, at many times during the, this process, right? Well, uh, definitely the, the local, the union local did. Mm-hmm. Because the method that was used by the military was tried and true. It always worked. The women quit. Uh, they, the person who did it got away with it and so on. But I didn't quit. I was going against the brain, as I will quote. I was a little fishy going the wrong way up the stream. Right. Well, this little fishy wasn't going the wrong way up the stream. Or the, you, you probably have seen the cartoon of the sheep going over the cliff. 
Right. Well, I was going the other way. Yeah. They yeah. were going over the cliff. I mean, I don't think they were going over the cliff, but I wasn't going the wrong way. Indeed, indeed. Um, in terms of the costs involved, I mean, you, you described that throughout the book in terms just, you know, photocopying long-distance charges at the time were, were, were not like what they are today. Um, uh, we all have smartphones now. In those days, communicating with people cost a lot of money. How, how did the, the, the family cope? I mean, I think you mentioned this once or twice during the book about how, um, you know, there, there were things that the family had to do without in terms of, of, say, keeping up the cost for postage and, and, and carbon and, and, and the sort, carbon papers, I should say? Well, they didn't notice what they went without. Mm. I still went camping. Uh, I still gave them what time I was able to. And they had friends. They had good friends. And we were in a small college, not college, but a little terrace, about six, 12 houses. And they had friends in that area. So when things weren't all that happy at home, they just went to their friends. Right, right. Um, uh, Bonnie, I'm sure people will ask you who you wrote the book for. I mean, um, as, I, as we started the conversation, I said this was an important book. It was Canadian history, obviously. Um, if, if, if you uh, found it unpleasant to relive some of the moments in the book, at the end of the day, what kept you going in terms of writing it well it was really important and it's really important for especially people fighting these kinds of complaints to have a grip a grasp of what was happening uh they weren't the only ones that were being treated that way there were things to learn from it and and like there's a non when when a woman or a man or finally get to the end, are so worn out and the employer says, we got to get rid of this person and put some, an agreement in front of them to get rid of them and then put a non-disclosure mm-hmm. box there, which are I'm hoping in time <coughs> will be outlawed. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't help the person heal. It's like the person who's been uh, behaving inappropriately all this time, the employer and the harasser, now tell you, you can never tell anybody that you finally have achieved some kind of closure for this, but never tell anybody that you ever got anything, and this subject is silent. I I advise and I will never ever possible don't voluntarily sign one. I thought I'd be okay because my face was still in the media, but I wasn't Okay, and this is one of another reason I went back to the review tribunal. Yeah, just to take that non-disclosure agreement and open it up. Yeah, I, I don't personally think that the person who is wronged you should have the right to tell you to shut up for mm. the rest of your life. You might be in, and you'll be buried with that. That is wrong. It's, it's putting a, a, a big wrong on top of a whole lot of wrong, and. I'm hoping at times the, the justice system, the law, will prevent that from being done, particularly those with government well, government money, anybody. They should not have the right to do that. They've already wronged the person so much that they have to leave. They shouldn't have to be silent, too. Indeed, indeed. Um, it, it, the Me Too movement, 
um, re- really put that at the fore in terms of, of um, j- just how insidious non-disclosure agreements are. Um, do you think the, the Me Too movement, Bonnie, has, has changed our culture for, for, for the better, or, or, or is it is it slow step still? Probably still slow step, but you have to remember that we're coming from a time where women didn't even talk to each other about these problems. Mm. They kept it silenced and buried in themselves that they're now getting to a point where women are actually talking about it and they're starting to realize that they do not have to accept this. And it's the silence of women that gave these men a lot of power. And the less silence there is, the less power there is. And it takes a very large number of women and the Me Too to, to, to break that. Mm-hmm. And whether it's somebody who is in an enormous amount of power like, uh, or someone who just has a little bit of power over a, a person with a little bitty job, it's just as hurtful. And we just don't hear too much about those situations. I wanted to be heard. I wanted the employer to recognize that when you go to complain about that, you should be listened to. They, they never did listen to me. They didn't want to know. Uh, and I, I could have sent them the letter that I had written, the Kerbal. Uh, mm. And it's taken me years to figure out why. Why? Because it wouldn't have made any difference. And why send them such embarrassing information when it wouldn't make any difference? The union wasn't kind to me, but they did ask. Right. Uh, Public Service Commission had uh, wasn't exactly kind either, but it did go to tribunal. Uh, all through the process, there were there were very few people that were kind, and it took years with the lobbying of the women of the union to finally get my legal fees paid. Now they probably had a duty to do something as well, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to. I wasn't there to destroy the union. I was there to make it stronger, and I was there to get the help and the help of the women to help change things in how sexual harassment complaints were handled. And that eventually happened. Indeed. Um, Bonnie, I'm sure in the course of all of this, um, uh, as you were fighting this battle as you were, um, you heard from women who experienced the same things and who didn't speak out. And, and that's a thing that I think um, uh, should give a lot of people pause, that for every Bonnie Robichaud, there, there are hundreds, if not uh, more, like you who didn't speak out, who didn't fight back, right? Well, you have to have the resources. I had a husband that was fully supportive. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason, too, I kept, kept working. I still had a paycheck coming in that was giving me more money than I would have got on a minimum wage part-time job. Um, I had enough skills and naivety to, to go forward with it, not knowing, you know, I mean, it's, it would be easy to fix. Well, I was told I was the only one that was putting the complaint through. That's mm. why I said it should be easy to fix. Right. I had I did not really know what I was proceeding with, and with going through the Human Rights Commission, I had the unique opportunity to be able to fight it. And when the first tribunal said 
he believed me. Well, it's really important for a woman to be believed, but that wasn't enough for me. My lawyer said, you had your day in court. Right. I didn't do it for a day in court. I did it for harassment free workplace. I had the opportunity to appeal that. And, and once that happened, National Defense lost control of it because they didn't resolve it through the grievance procedure. Mm-hmm. And by then, you know, my union says, I know, and then with appealing it, I won, and my union and the women said, you've got to support her. I didn't find out or realize so many, so very recently, like a year or so ago, that the union was actually paying the harassment legal fees. Mm. So those cultural changes had to come. It wasn't. Right. And, and I've said this before. It's like playing cards with somebody who's got all the high cards, you've got all the little cards. Well, the guy with the high cards have always won with the high cards, so why pay attention? Yeah. I got the little cards. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to try and win. And I did pay attention. And by the time they figured out that somebody with the little cards can win, it was too late. And it was out of their control, no matter how hard they tried. And so as a, it took a long time for these issues to come to the forefront. And the, the Human Rights Tribunals gave me that opportunity in the Federal Court of Appeal. Well, I had little doubt that I'd be able to win one at the Supreme Court once I got leave. And so I was not giving that up. There wasn't anything they had that would get me to give them up, right. give it up. And they knew it. But the other thing that, that, that that's um, uh, as I'm reading the book, Bonnie, that, that um, I, I admired a great deal was that through all of this, um, when you could have been, um, say, j- just worn out by everything, and, and you were from time to time, uh, you kept on going. That even after this, that you you finished school, um, you had your works, and and you continued to be an activist. That was very important for you, wasn't it? It, it was, yes, because it's how you make change. If I'd won this without anybody knowing about it, it wouldn't have been worth the effort. We ha- you can't make cultural change if nobody knows about it. We have to change how people thought about sexual harassment, how they felt it was okay, and how they had to take no responsibility for it even if they knew how much harm it did to the individual. Mm-hmm. We had to change that. We had to be able to say that is not okay. And the employer had to understand that they had some responsibility as well as losing good employees. And there was no one on that base that wasn't affected, or if there was, I don't know about it, by my complaint. Mm-hmm. It was well uh, gossiped about, I am sure. Mm-hmm. And... That's not a way to have a workplace by the employer just neglecting to deal with the issue. I had never really tried to get him fired. Uh, I figured, okay, maybe suspend for a month and leave me alone. I can do my job. Yeah. But that that's not how it turned out. Eventually, he did get fired. Uh, so, But it took six years. Yeah. Um, in, in the book, you mentioned that um, he, uh, Brennan, uh, sued you for slander. That case eventually got stayed. Um, did he try to, to contact you afterwards, after all of this, say? No. I'm grateful for that. Indeed. Indeed. And I, I have to away my right to, the, to damages against him. And 
I was grateful for that too because I didn't want nothing. I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. I just want to say before I forget, there were people that did help me along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, help and information group in Montreal who works at this full time and is is supported by the provincial government has helped me a lot, Ivan again. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, there there were others. Uh, the, the labor movement have helped me a lot, and I just don't you know I can't overemphasize this because I have the complaint, but I needed the people to help make the difference because there were a lot of women that were sexually harassed, and the attitude of the union was. The person who is grieved against is the one that gets the help, not the griever. Mm. That has also been changed in our union. Yeah, it then. took a long time, but at least it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yours, Bonnie, is a book that the people should read because it is an important book, and, and uh, you list the names of the people that help you uh, uh, throughout the book, and, and I think, yeah, you're right, they, they do deserve some acknowledgement. Um, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you uh, today, and I appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on the book and all the best. Well, I hope, it, I hope. first of all, I believe it to be a good read, and I wouldn't, I'm not yeah. That much confidence. It's a good read, and it's 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 a source for learning and understanding. And I wrote it for that reason, because I I believe we need to know about our history, and we need to know how changes are made, and encouragement for for anyone who believes that or feels that they can attempt to, to complain or at least talk amongst themselves on how emotionally deal with what was happening. Thank you for this, Bonnie. I, I, it's been, been an honor to talk to you today. Well, thank you for calling, and I look forward to uh, hearing more from you and this, in this uh, interview. The book is called It uh, Should Be Easy to Fix. It's published by Between the Lines. It's author Bonnie Robichaud. Join me on the line from Ottawa, Ontario. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.